Hey, folks. Welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, uh, thanks for joining me. Or maybe I should uh, thank you for letting me join you. But I just want to say we're, we're going to try something different. We're going to try to be timely, man. We're going to try to talk about some uh, some news, some real news. some uh, I don't want to say very expensive news, but some news that involves, what, Carlos, $95 million? Is that, is, is that what is you're that making right? now? You're making that much? I, I thought it was no, a lot. No, no, but... no, no. I, no, no, no. I, I make $95 every six months. But other than no, it's uh, – yeah, no, no, no. No, seriously, uh, I, I don't know what to do with this podcast, man. We're usually sort of a, a longer form. We take our time. We you, you say a lot. I say nothing. And, uh, you know, and then it's out there for a week. But my goodness, man, what a uh, what a story that our Chris Solari dropped, who, of course, covers the Michigan State Spartans for the Detroit Free Press. What, what a story he dropped uh, – I guess this afternoon we're recording here on a on a, on a Wednesday evening. Um, what could, could, did you see the numbers? Did you see what Michigan State and in particular a couple of very wealthy donors are prepared to offer Mel Tucker? Oh yeah, it's staggering. It's it's a if it, if it's true if it if it comes to fruition it's it mean not only is the money a lot but the commitment says a lot about where Michigan State is and where they hope to be you know in their football program. No, for sure, and we're, and we're going to get into that in just a second. I, ju- I just want to say that uh, if you will, if you will allow me, I mean, if you will, how about this? If you will indulge me, we're also going to talk about uh, uh, another uh, local team, uh, the Detroit Lions, and their right tackle Taylor Decker, who who told the media earlier in the week that uh, he did not like the narrative surrounding him when he set out the first what eight games of the Lions season with a. With an injury, I'm gonna and, I'm gonna uh, stop you for a second because you called him right tackle. He's gonna come lunging for you. He's oh, the yeah, left he, no, tackle. You're right. Actually, no, that's that. No, that's great. That that's just me <laughs> falling into the, the 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 baseless narrative that Panay Sewell is now the left tackle. So much right? negativity. No, t- I know it's crazy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Decker. No, the, Taylor Decker, the left tackle, which means Panay Sewell is gonna have to slide over to the to, to the to the right tackle. We'll talk about that in a, in a bit. But in any case, it got me to thinking, Carlos, a little bit about just how much influence uh, the media has. Because he was not—he was very upset with the media. Just how we can shape narratives one way or the other. Um, you know, it was also kind of made me think a little bit about Carlos Correa, shortstop who plays uh, one of the best in the game, maybe the best in the game, who's a free agent. The Tigers would obviously love to have. But he, he went after Derek Jeter a little bit, saying he was not a um, worthy of, gold, of the gold gloves that he won for his defensive performance when he played for the Yankees. And again, that kind of plays into how we thought about Jeter and all that. So it, I know we're, we're adding, not adding, but we're kind of mushing together football and baseball in one segment. I hope that's okay with you. After that, we're going to get into a, uh, I don't know, a trip I took to Pennsylvania, Carlos. How about that? A diner that I went into, uh, an experience that I had. It's really not about the food, although the food was delicious. Just just kind of in, involving, it involves going into places that, push you a little bit push the push your not your patience because I don't, I don't want to set it up that way but just this idea that we need to we, we need to learn how to talk to each other again when we have different differing opinions so I I want to get into that but let's get back to this I, I mean I, Carlos I still can't believe it 95 million dollars seriously 10 years yeah 10 years for Mel Tucker this of course comes from it's it, it well look the free press reported it. Let's just assume it's true for now. We can say allege if you want to. You know my old news side background, but let's just say uh, Tucker accepts this. 
um, the money is not coming from the school. Obviously, we need to make that very clear. It's coming from a couple of alums, Matt Ishbia and Steve St. Andre, who are, uh, I know Ishbia is a billionaire. I'm not completely sure about St. Andre, but he's, you know, a millionaire many times over. It's their money, right? They're combining their funds into a private donation that would fund this contract. Yeah, that 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 has its complications, doesn't it? I mean, uh, we'll see. I mean, Ishbia has already, you know, had some influence in the program by by donating money to to student athletes. Um, but yeah, I mean, if 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 the school wasn't prepared to make that kind of commitment, if you have private donations or fundraising, you know, uh, if that's what it takes, if that's what it takes to get Mel Tucker locked up for 10 years, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's got to work, right? <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, it's, I mean, and that's the thing. And there are a few things and I have a, just finished writing a column about this and I wrote about Mel Tucker some, but I, but, but more, more broadly, this idea that look, well, first of all, this isn't new, Carl. So, I mean, T-Bone Ticken, Picken, excuse me, gave Oklahoma state $165 million. And that was just to the athletic department in general. But that was in 2000, I want to say 16, it was the largest gift of its kind to athletic department and in, in college sports history. Phil Knight, you know, the head man at Nike, has given millions and millions of dollars to Oregon. And so those are the two more two of the more well-known. But, I mean, shoot, Michigan's got donors that give tens of millions of dollars. Ohio State does. Notre Dame does. Alabama does, right? I mean, this is how college sports work. It's just not usually – a single donor. I mean, in the case of Pickens and Knight, yes, but generally it's, it's a collection of, of donors. You know, some might give five grand, some might give a hundred grand and then some maybe, maybe gives a million, but, uh, but 95 million is a, a, a different stratosphere. And it's specifically for one thing like Pickens endowment was for the whole athletic department, right? This is just for one thing. You're, right, so don't you think that comes with a, with a certain kind of pressure and expectation? You're you're literally buying a coach. Um, that I mean, we're in a whole new you know landscape here for college sports with uh, you know the the players getting paid for their likenesses and and being able to profit off their own names and such. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just. I mean, let's face it. I mean, it's it's like you said, it's happened before with big donors it's kind of been sort of disguised as a donation to the athletic department or maybe the football program, whatever it is, but, but you know what they're really doing, you know, they're funding salaries. So uh, this just makes it a little bit more, I guess, um, obvious, uh, apparent. Um, But I I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting what happens and, and what happens if down the road, right. If Mel, if Matt Ishbia is not happy with some of the play calls <laughs> that Mel Tucker's, uh, you know, using or whatever, um, does he go down there and grab a headset? Does he, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you, you wouldn't think I, so. You, yeah. I don't know that, that he needs to worry about that. I mean, like I said, I, I, I mean, and, and like, you know, the idea that, that people give millions of dollars to programs and then want to see certain results, that's not new. Right. I mean, donors have more say often or at least exert more pressure often in who gets hired and fired than a school president or the school or the or the board of trustees or, or whatever the, the board of regents whatever it might be whatever may be the case so i don't think any of that's new i, I there are a couple of thoughts i have uh, if you'll allow me sure uh about this one is that michigan state can no longer be considered and this oh god i can't believe i'm saying this this is a carlos uh type take 
but I don't think they can be considered an underdog anymore in football, right? They're, they are trying to spend their way into that last, you know, take that that final step. Now, look, I know they, were, they won a couple of games a year before, but D'Antonio at his peak got them close. He got them into the college football playoff. They won in New Year's Day bowl games. They, they won the Big Ten a couple of uh, three times, maybe four times and shared one of them. So he got them right up there. But he couldn't quite get them to that last little bit where Alabama resides and Ohio State resides. And I know Michigan State beat D'Antonio beat Ohio State a couple times, but but you know what I'm talking about. There's a three or four schools up there that recruit at a completely different level. D'Antonio's best recruiting class, I want to say, was like 18, 19. So this money, Ispia and St. Andre are banking, betting that Tucker is going to be able to find his way into top 10 recruiting classes because you do not win the college football playoff unless your talent is up in that top 10. I mean, that's just just an objective fact, at least for the last 10 years. But, I mean, you know, buying a coach is one thing. Buying recruits is another. I mean, you're you're still Michigan State. You're still – I mean – you know, you're still the number two dog in the state behind Michigan. I mean, that's Michigan is Michigan football is the lead dog here, you know, and it's going to take a long time and sustained winning uh, to change that. So I'm not saying Mel Tucker can't do it. Um, I like that if, if this is if this is happening, if it has the obviously the full backing of of the school, or the athletic program, um, you know, your, your good friend, Tom Izzo, if this, if this is all a synchronous move and everybody's behind it and everybody's in line and we want this to happen, this is our plan. Mel Tucker's the guy we're going to take on Michigan. We're going to recruit Michigan. We're going to be players with, like you said, Alabama, Ohio State. That's all fine and good, but just giving a coach a bunch of money doesn't solve everything. It's not the panacea. It's you've got to, you've got to build a program along with that, you know. So Mel Tucker has done an amazing job this year and you you, you can't deny that. But it's one year. That's my concern here is it's one year. He's got probably the Heisman Trophy winner who's going to leave after this year. How was he going to do that next year, you know? And so uh, that's the only thing. My only little concern about it is the, the sample size is small. Um, but obviously people with deep pockets really are buying into this well they are and i wrote that in the column too um this idea that they're taking a chance that this isn't a one-year wonder right i mean it just wasn't just a a happy happenstance i think it's the phrase i use again a carlos cut phrase (laughs) but uh, but i no seriously i i I mean that's what they're banking on that's what they're betting on right that that so so the money does a couple things first of all it, it it secures tucker and that's the main thing it also then well it does a couple other things too. Then it, then it says to recruits, um, I, "Hey, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere." And the school believes in me, and the school wants me here. So there's there's that stability uh, on a practical matter. It, it it allows for probably a deeper pool for assistant coaches. I mean, Jay Johnson, who's the offensive coordinator up there, who's been great. I mean, uh, Tucker doesn't want him going anywhere, right? So. So practically, the 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 money might. I mean, it's not his salary is going to go, but that will maybe allow you get that kind of money. You can get a little leverage to to pay your assistants a little more. So that. So, but I, I. So there's some symbolism here, right? And and what it's signaling. They and by they I mean Ispia and Saint Andre, and then to some degree the school are betting that with Tucker secure and the stability that the money shows 
that the connection he has made with these players, and you can see it in the way they play, you listen to them, the reverence they have for him, and the early success he's had on the recruiting trail. He's already recruited at a higher – his class right now is better, more, high, more highly ranked than, than any D'Antonio's ever had. But they're, so, they're, so they're betting with the stability and the symbolism of that money that he's going to go around the country and lean on his one-on-one personality, his ability to connect with people, and pull in the kind of class the school hadn't seen before. Really, that's the gamble because you can't win at that top, top level without those kind of players. You just can't. I mean, right? I mean, the plucky only gets you so far, to use your favorite word. <laughs> The pluckiness. Yeah, you know what? And the one thing I'm concerned also about is just, uh, you know, what's behind all this? And as far as, uh, yeah, I'm sure, you know, Ishbia and St. Andre want this all to work out and, you know, great success for Tucker and the football program. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know much about St. Andre, but but Ishbia has definitely been making a play to be a, a, a big time donor player at that school, at his alma mater um, you know, and this is part of that. I think this is, it's not just a one and done. I'm giving a bunch of money to the coach and to get a coach and that's it. I mean, he's been making huge donations all around the school. So, you know, this is part of including the name, image and likeness. Sorry. To interrupt. Yeah. The ma- name, image and likeness. He made a $32 million cash donation to in February to construct a football facility. I mean, he's yep. throwing a lot of money around for, for part of it. Yeah. 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 And he, yeah. so he's, he's dumping a lot of money onto that school and that means he has a ton of influence. So, I mean, he's buying his, his way into being a very influential player at that university in the athletic department who knows what else other designs he might have. I've met Matt Ishbia and I've talked to him. He's an impressive guy. He definitely has a lot of, Irons in the fire, a lot of ideas, um, you know, which, which isn't a bad thing. That's not a bad thing in and of itself. But I just don't think this is a only like the only thing he's thinking about. I mean, who knows when Tom Izzo retires, right? Someone's got to step up to the plate there probably and go get uh, whoever you're going to get, whoever the hot, you know, basketball coaches are or whatever. Um, so that's I think there's just a lot more to this narrative than it's just Mel Tucker. Um, you know, it's a big part of it, but I think that it's more than just Tucker. Well, from Israel's perspective, yeah, but I would but I would argue in this particular instance, this is all about Tucker. And I don't know that, that Ishbia or St. Andre for that matter have any other agenda than they just want to see. I think what they really think um is that Tucker has the chance to be one of the next great football college football coaches. I mean, that's what that's really what they're guessing, right? That's really what they hope. Yeah. That, that he is going to be a Nick Saban. Not Nick Saban at Michigan State, Nick Saban in Alabama. Yeah. And and that's the difference. And and to me, that's what they're they're writing these checks because they, you know, you, you don't know for sure. You can't know for sure. But I think they feel like they got lucky. I mean, Tucker wasn't their first choice. Luke Fickle was, right? Mm-hmm. The, the coach down in Cincinnati. Yeah. So I feel like they think, you know, they stumbled onto something here. And, and how often do they get that chance? I mean, they see an opportunity to push this program to a different kind of place and a different place naturally, which then takes the school to a different place. You know, you read stories about what the football program's done to Alabama and in Rome, and I, and I hate to – that's a whole other show we could do on, on whether that's worth it and do you really want all those extra uh, students applying because you get a lot of out-of-state folks, and I know that raises the tuition, but, you know, then you get into questions about what the heck is college even for, right? But in the model we're in – having a winning football program doesn't just pay for other sports. And I don't want to minimize that. That's important. 
all these other sports that, that lose money, Olympic sports in particular. But it does raise the profile in a way that benefits the main university in, in tangible ways. And I, you know, and I think that Ishbia and San Andre obviously are aware of that. Yeah, the Doug Flutie effect. Yeah, you're you're. It helps everything. You know, all the the revenue sports, right? Uh, they help fund other sports. Um, so yeah, it, it can be a good thing. Um, you know, and I, I I just I just wonder. You know that 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 whole. Um, you know, can we be? I, I wonder how much it was more than we know we have the guy as more than. We don't want to lose the guy, you know, just like it happened with Saban. Who could be the who guy. Who could be the right. guy. Yeah, because that, that would be yeah. the worst thing for Michigan State, right, is to lose Tucker to LSU or or maybe some some other team or whatever. Um, and then he goes on to great success, just like Saban did. No, the, 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 yeah, the best, the best coach in college sports – or college football, excuse me. I don't want to say college sports. In college football the last 30 years, coached at Michigan State, right? Right. Yeah, and you're right. They, they they don't want they don't want that to happen again. And look, we're we're kind of running out of time here. We need to get to our next subjects. But I, I did want to add real quickly and, and give you your final your final thought too. I wonder, you know, I wrote this in my column. I, I tried to make this point. The few things in sports, team sports, are as fun as as a team sort of playing above its expectation, right? The outside expectation in particular. And that's partly what's made this year so fun for for Spartan fans, for Spartan football fans. When, the, when, when this kind of money gets attached to something, it changes the expectation, obviously. And it becomes a little bit less fun. That doesn't mean winning is, is any less fun in a way. But uh, the, the, the underdog stories kind of disappear a little bit. The idea, I don't want to say excuses, but the idea that, well, it's Michigan State. You know, they had a great year, but they can't go up and play with the big boys. Well, now, you know, there's got, at some point there's going to be some expectation that that's what this money's for. In a roundabout way, right? Maybe not directly. You can't go buy recruits. I mean, you you can set up NIL stuff, and uh, that might help. But uh, but to me, it just changes the the atmosphere a little bit. And uh, you know, I'm not sure what I think about that. I, you know, for better and for worse. How about that, Carlos? Yeah, and that's that's the thing is just if you wanna if you wanna be, you know, you wanna have expectations really high and raised, and you wanna be playing with the big boys. You, it can't just be about the coach and the assistant coaches and some of the players. It has to be a wholesale commitment. I mean, people people who talk about going to the Alabama football facility uh, just can't speak enough about it. You know, it blows away. There's a museum there, by the way, yeah. uh, named after Bear Bryant. Yeah, I've been to and it. And yeah. it, it blows away NFL, you know, training facilities. And it, it, part of it's a recruiting tool, obviously. But 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 it's 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 so impressive. And it, you, you see that this is a holistic effort. I mean, Alabama is king there. It has, or football has been king at Alabama forever, you know. Um, and that's the thing. That's the thing that MSU, Michigan State, has to overcome is they have to surpass Michigan. And that is going to take a long time. This is maybe the first step in doing that, but it can't just be about a big salary for one coach and that's going to get it done. No, no, no. But that, but that building, that facility, the $32 million HBA gave back in the winter. And I don't know that that covers the whole cost of it. I think that's just part of it. But uh, to me, that's just as important, right? Because, yeah. look, and you, you're talking about catching Michigan. Michigan State's facilities are way – football facilities are way behind Michigan and Ohio State. Forget Alabama. Right. I mean, it's an arms race in that way. And so I think I think they are all in on this. That's that's. I mean, if you discount those two donations from Ishpia, you're talking about 100 and, 
well, maybe the ninety-five million wasn't all his because uh, Saint Andre is pointed a part of that. But combined, what are we talking? This one hundred twenty million dollar injection in the last ten months into that football program. I mean, that's that is something else. But uh, well, look, we're, we're you know we're probably going to find out pretty soon whether he's going to take this, whether he's going to agree to this. Uh, there may be an announcement soon from Michigan State, um, and we will obviously have a lot more to say about this uh, in the coming weeks. But for now, we need to take a break and then come back and talk about uh, media narratives and player legacies and Taylor Decker left tackle <laughs> and uh, and Derek Jeter and Carlos Correa. You know, Tiger fans hope he uh, finds his way here and some of that good stuff. Uh, does that sound good to you, Carlos? Sounds good, Sean. All right, all right, we'll be right back. Hello, I'm Phil Friend, the host and producer of Spartan Speak, a podcast collaboration between the Detroit Free Press and Lansing State Journal focusing on Michigan State sports. Each week, I'm joined by the OGs of the MSU podcasting game, freak beat writer Chris Slarry and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch, as we discuss and dissect the latest sports news coming out of East Lansing. Not only is Spartan Speak one of, if not the longest-running MSU sports podcast out there, you won't find a show with two people as clued into the Spartans as Chris and Graham, each of whom has spent a decade-plus covering MSU and bring years of institutional knowledge and insight to the podcast. And once in a while, they'll let me throw out a take as well. Along with discussing the latest news, we'll break down the Spartans' last game in the hardwood and the gridiron. What went right? What went wrong? Jet sweep. Again? For both Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo, get you ready for the next game, make predictions, and so much more. We can also guarantee at least one reference to Kalamazoo every podcast. So if you haven't already, download, subscribe, and listen to Spartan Speak on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on your podcast app of choice. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, you have tremendous power, and uh, I know you're aware of this power. You have no idea. For the most part, you walk around, uh, <laughs> you carry yourself like you don't have too much power. You know, you like to remind people some at some point, I'm right? I'm like Superman, kind of. Yeah, you are. You're, you're complex. I mean, look, we're in a small little closet, and you were able to get your ego in here, so <laughs> so that so that's, that's pretty impressive. No, seriously, so you're... Uh, uh, you're, I don't want to say your friend, but uh, your lineman over there, your left tackle with the Detroit Lions, Taylor Decker, uh, is back, right? After mm-hmm. an injury kept him out for, what, the first eight games, nine games, eight games? Something like that. Help me out here. Yeah, yeah eight, eight, something like eight that. Eight games. And he spoke with the media uh, recently and said he felt like he was fe- treated unfairly. He didn't like the narratives out there. He didn't like the way he was being portrayed. He's the potty word, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. He did, he did. So that that got, me, that got me to thinking a little bit. Just just how much? And first of all, do you think that's true? And secondly, how much influence do we have in this business to shape how people think about professional athletes and college athletes, for that matter? Well, I will. I will. You know, I think what we the the power that the media has is to create narratives. I don't know how much we shape things necessarily, um, unless you're talking about some explosive report or something like that. But if you're talking about opinion and analysis, yeah, you know, the narratives start sometimes that way, which is kind of our job to some extent. Um, Some of the media, some, you know, opinion writers is to stir the pot, get people thinking, talking about different points of view. I don't know specifically who Decker was speaking about. If he was speaking about someone specifically or in general, I had no idea that 
he had this kind of, you know, um, uh, anger or animosity toward someone or people in the media, I'll be honest. Um, we haven't been around him also. So he had just returned to practice before that game uh, in Pittsburgh. So we hadn't really had a chance to talk to him since training camp. But the, I think the idea was floated that potentially, you know, he was trade bait. Um, you know, getting older and Penny Sewell, obviously a first round draft pick, was playing left tackle, doing a fairly decent job. So I don't know if that was specifically what he was talking about. I don't remember anybody bashing Taylor Decker. Um, but, you know, that's that's part of it is just what you you kind of look – sometimes athletes find what they want to find. The the, right, the comment was the, – the, I, don't, I don't know if this is a direct quote or not, but I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But the negativity surrounding my name has been, quote, BS, right? Mm-hmm. So if we break this down a little bit real quickly, it's the idea that, as you mentioned, Panay Sewell comes in, the rookie, the number seven overall pick in the NFL draft last spring, comes in, struggles a little bit at right tackle, eventually slides over to left tackle and starts to play really well. I mean, especially for a rookie, but even even just relative to the, to the league. Fairly well. Plays, plays say. Not, not all pro level, but plays, shows a lot of promise. How about yeah, that? Sure. And looks much more comfortable there. And you wonder how much that starts the narrative. And okay, well, Taylor Decker, do they need Taylor Decker? Should he come back? If they do, well, he's got to go back to right tackle, right? So it seems like we kind of go from there. So maybe that's partly what he's responding to, right? Because the media then reflects to some degree what fans are saying too, right? I mean, because they can see they can see Sewell's playing well, relatively well. Yeah, but then I it would you know I don't know if that's how. If that's what he's talking about, I mean, I don't see that as negative. I mean, negative is when you're saying somebody sucks and they're not playing well and it's time to get rid of them. I can't imagine anybody saying that about Taylor Decker or where he might have picked up on that. If people are just positing theories about maybe we swing Sewell back to left where he played in college and then they have to draft, a, you know, like moving forward, if we can get some trade pieces out of this, um, you, you I don't think, see that as negative. you think you feel like an afterthought? <sighs> or Maybe. somehow people have forgotten that he was he's a pretty good tackle himself. He's a very right? good tackle. Yeah, exactly. He should he, he easily people... could be a pro bowler. Um I just, I just don't see it. I don't I don't I didn't pick up on anywhere where people were bashing him and it's time to get rid of him. Maybe sometimes it's this idea that if you're if you're elevating one person by by pure physics, you're you're negating somebody else, Possibly. right? I'll and tell you this. He just picked up the, the, the continuum, the universe, uh, the vibes out there in the universe. He picked that well, up. Well, I will tell you this, okay? Having covered the Lions a long time, the inside information or, or perspective I can give you and our one listener is I can tell you that— Thank you, Todd. Thanks, Todd. And I can tell you that the Ford family, especially the people in power, tend to read— everything that's written. They tend to have very big, large ears when it comes to what's being said, written, talked about in the media. And I think veteran players understand this who've been around that it it filters back down to them of the owner might have said this or mentioned this. or So I think there's there's got to be – I don't know if this is what he's talking about, but it, it from a veteran star player's perspective, that could be a concern if people in the media are talking about maybe it's time to trade them, what can they get, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, maybe that – I mean, your, your job's in jeopardy at that point. If you think that can get up to the highest levels of this organization and can change where I am and, and where I go in my future – yeah, that's a concern. Whether that's – if you want to say it's a negative or not, who knows. But he clearly just was not happy with 
something being said or talked about, you know, somehow in the media. So I don't know. I don't know who if he had something. And it's hard. You, you and I know whenever something like that comes out, players want to be vague. They don't want to pinpoint somebody. And it's rare for them to, to stick it on a, a person. They want, oh, I don't want to get too personal. I don't want to get too specific. I'm just going to say that, you know, this is I don't like it and I'm mad. I'm not happy. But who knows? I mean, so it leaves it leaves it open to interpretation. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening to anything you just said. <laughs> My wife told me the other day that your voice was very soothing. She listened to us for the first time. So I was actually trying to study the tenor of that voice, and I didn't hear what you were saying. I My was, wife says the same I thing. I was studying, uh, yeah, I was trying to hone in on what that quality is, what, what's in the timber, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's soothing. It puts, right? you, it puts you to sleep. Comforting. Like timber, yeah. Like, like, a like baby, sawing logs. Like a baby blanket. Yeah. I never had anything like that, by the way. I never had a teddy bear or anything like that. I don't ever. know that I – I probably did have a teddy bear. I don't know. No, okay. Get, look, I mean, yeah, that's fun. We could talk about teddy bears and blankets all day. But just for a little bit of broader perspective, it's, it's interesting. I was looking at the headlines here off the, the Lions tie in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. right? And it's interesting because you have a reputation, <clears throat> which you're slowly shedding, unfortunately, <laughs> as being uh, tough-minded, you know. A hot take artist sometimes. I'm not sure that's fair or not, but that's what people perceive. Some readers do. So you write a column, and the headline is uh, what's the headline here? The headline is help me out here, man. What was your headline? It's like Sean's wrong. No, all was oh so long. Oh, and seventeen. Why? No, no, that's Jeff Seidel, who is also positive. Wow. So See? long. Oh, and seventeen. Why the Lions can't be upset with the tide of the Steelers? Right, and then you, oh, I wrote, yeah, yeah, the, and then you wrote a similar piece with a with a similarly positive headline about how they don't carry themselves like a, a winless team, and then Dave Burkett jumps in there with uh, well, this is not the his game story, but it's a second day story. Why the Lions should have traded Matthew Stafford to the Panthers? <laughs> so he's basically given up at the season, which is fine because I think a lot of fans have. Right, so it's a mix in there. You know, Jeff's written plenty of negative columns about the Lions. You certainly have. But here they are, oh eight and one, and you chose to go positive. And uh, we don't have Jeff here; we can't ask him. But I'm curious why you did that because that kind of ties into this. You're trying to get readers, <clears throat> excuse me, fans of the team, readers, to think about it maybe in a different way in the middle of this really, really miserable season. Yeah, and, it, and you know, it's 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 not about the wins and losses, but if you want to, you know, this game was because they tied. Because now, no matter what, I don't care about it. And it was like, oh, you know, Dave hates the moral victories thing and all that and, you know, whatever. And he, I think he, A lot of fans do. Yeah, he talked to a player, and one of the players said, you know, if, if it's a tie, it's it's just like a loss. It's no different. No, it's not. You're not going to go 0-17. You cannot go 0-17. And 0 16 and 1 is not the same thing as 0 and 17, okay? No, but it'd be the own it'd be the Lions' own little quirky it'd be, asterisk right in a record book. It that's would. all it would be. It's an asterisk and it wouldn't be the, it wouldn't have the same uh uh gravitas as 0 and 17 and then they wouldn't be shamefully the first team to go 0 and 16 0 and 17. So it, it takes that off the table. All and and if you and the column that I wrote was if you listened to Dan Campbell's press conferences, his conference and Jared Goff and and if you listen to uh, the Steelers, you know, Mike Tomlin and Mason Rudolph, the Steelers talked, felt like they talked and sounded like they had lost the game. And the Lions talked and sounded like they had won the game. Just take everything else out, the tone, 
everything. The, 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 you know, it, it was all it was completely different. You and I have been in in plenty of press conferences, and when you snatch well, you a, have. yeah, when you snatch a, I a, a my couch, a, <laughs> when you when you snatch a, a or my chair, it's mostly eating in, on the couch and watching I, I a little bit. From my high chair. Yeah, but when you snatch a, a a tie from from defeat, you know, uh, or you battle back, even if you lose, but you battle back, you got close. And you're a bad team. You feel good about it. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a positive step. But by you doing that, Carlos, you wanted to <clears throat> to shape, right? And it's what we do. We make these choices as as journalists, as writers, as reporters. We we decide, even if we're not writing a column, like you write columns some, and I write uh, uh, columns, obviously. And we're sharing what we think and our opinion, but even just the act of what we're going to put in, mm-hmm. the choice of what to include, what not to include, right. how to frame something without using personal pronouns or telling somebody what to think is still a very subjective thing. And that's a choice we're making. So you made a choice because you wanted readers to think about and, and you wanted to point out how they sounded in the context of the Steelers and the larger context of all this losing. Right. And that can uh, now there might be some people that read it and say what are you doing you know you're it's a participation trophy mindset right fairly or not right but there might be plenty of people out there that would absorb that and think oh oh okay and they might have a little bit more hope and that brings me on the next question for you kind of sliding sport switching sports here real quickly but it's the same idea with carlos correa the free agent shortstop who the tigers would love Played for the Houston Astros, arguably the best shortstop in baseball. Just won a gold glove. Went on a podcast uh, recently and said Derek Jeter didn't deserve his gold gloves. And the, the, the advanced metrics sort of back that up. We start thinking about why do we think about Derek Jeter. I mean, we think about him as clutch. That's an arguable. I mean, you can debate that whether there's such a thing in baseball or not. But largely we think of him as a good baseball, a good defensive player in baseball. Maybe because of a couple plays, the, the 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 foul, not the foul ball, but the overthrow that he ran down against the Oakland A's in the playoffs and flicked it to the catcher. You know, what what's your your sense of that? Do we look at players sometimes because of the way they play, the fluidity? He had a real elegance about him, and then do we overstate what their real ability is? Do we get do we get lost in? And something that is on the surface and maybe isn't real. Yeah, you. I think that I think that the the narratives people like people like certainty and they like comfortable narratives. And when someone's a sort of ordained as a great player, you're going to overlook a lot of deficiencies and continue that narrative of why they're a great player. Um, you know, Jeter. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I always thought of him. I didn't watch a lot of Yankees games. I'll be honest with you. Um, like. I always thought of him as an offensive player first, but not a bad uh, shortstop. And I wasn't looking at the saber metrics there and the, all this stuff and run saved and war and all this other whatever. Uh, I can't speak with much authority on all of his defensive metrics, but um, yeah, clutch offensive player. And then obviously he's elevated because he's a Yankee, which just by nature being a Yankee, you're a better player than anybody else in, in Major League Baseball. Um, so there's a lot to it. And, you know, the captain and all this other stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, if Carlos Correa says it, I, I would tend to believe him probably. He probably knows more about this than, than a lot of other people. Well, there's a, there's a metric out there, defensive run saved, I think, DRS. And Correa's last year was just, uh, we don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much, just for some quick context. His rating last year was a 21. Derek Jeter in his 14, 15-year career, whatever it was, was only above zero, so a plus rating twice. Once was, I think, three, and the other maybe was two or one. Every other time it was a negative rating. 
It well, was Correa's for the whole for his whole career. I don't though. know what his for whole career, but it's I, but I just know this past year it was twenty one, which okay. Jeter never approached. But it, it reminded me of when it, you you remember this because you're we're similar aged. Back when Ozzie Smith was winning gold gloves all the time, you remember the shortstop oh, yeah. for the St. Louis Cardinals. Oh, yeah. He'd go out and do a backflip, and yeah. then, right for, to, the, for every game he'd go out to short do, and do, do a backflip, back and he yeah. he made spectacular plays oh, yeah. where he'd be laying out and so on and so forth. But around here, you weren't here back in those days. But around here, Tigers fans used to argue, well, you know what, Alan Trammell is always in the right place, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now I don't want to. There's maybe some other talks you could have about that kind of an argument, right? The, the athleticism and display, whatever, and I don't. We don't need to get into all that, but it was just this, the, the idea that you can play defense in in different ways, and I don't know what the numbers would support. Ozzie Smith was a spectacular player, and 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 that's how we thought of him because he made those plays. Jeter occasionally made sort of wow, did you see that plays? Maybe not to the level of Ozzie Smith, but he made plays that that, that stuck with you, right? And then they build, they build on that, and then we write that. And I know there's a there's a pushback against him to some degree, right? Especially defensively, and this idea that he was clutch. I mean, a lot of baseball numbers folks don't even like that idea that there's such a thing as clutch. That a run in the second inning and it counts the same as a run in the eighth inning or a ninth inning. Right. Yeah. Oh, but just but but in any case, just this. It's interesting to me how certain plays are made, certain plays players play a certain style or way, and then we. We kind of get wrapped up in that as writers, as fans, but as as writers too. Yeah, and then we help perpetuate that a little bit. So, so maybe Taylor Ducker has a point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, you know, we we shape narratives. That's just that's just the the fact of the business, and it has been for a long time. It just it's a little bit more uh, intensified now with social media, you know. But I think it's always been the case with sports writing of. You know, we we have to add context. If you're just going to write what you see and that's it, and just the facts, ma'am, you know, like you're never going to have much of a of an audience or, or or reason to give readers or listeners or viewers much of a reason to watch you or follow you. Because you, that's what we get paid for, right? We go to the games. We watch, you go to your couch, but we go to the games, and uh, we tell people what we see, and what we think. We try to, and uh, I'm going to try to tell you what I saw and a little bit of what I think. <laughs> From a, a really interesting diner that, that speaks to a larger issue about where we're at as a society right now, I think, in terms of how we interact in the world. And, um, and we'll, we'll, okay, fine. I'll talk about the smoked kielbasa I had with the, with the eggs and the American fries. Those were good. American fries, by the American way, not fries. French fries. You would, in freedom this diner, fries. Yeah, they'd call them freedom fries in this time. <laughs> in any case, we're going to get into that uh, in a sec. Uh, let's take a quick break first. Hey, it's Sean Windsor, and I'd like to tell you about the new sports app we've launched as part of our USA Today family. USA Today Sports Plus is the new sports app that puts fans first. Get the latest scores, stats, and standings, and enjoy interactive experiences with our award-winning sports writers, which obviously does not include me. Download USA Today Sports Plus from the Apple or Google Play stores today. USA Today Sports Plus. Fan harder. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, have you ever walked into a business of any kind and walked out because you saw some political slogan or some political sign or got a vibe that these were people that weren't aligned with you and how the world should work? Have you ever done that? I haven't, actually. Have you ever thought about doing that? I've thought about it, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Had you ever thought about doing that before three or four years ago? 
Yeah, I have. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. So boycotting a company that's taking advantage of somebody in a, another part of the world or something. I mean, that kind of thing's been around us for a while. Yeah. But what about just on a level of, you know, small business, small businesses, a mom and pop place or a mom and mom place? Yeah. Or a pop and pop place. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, as you travel around, right, in rural parts, more rural parts of the country, you see these kind of signs out in front of their stores, especially if they're restaurants, whatever, uh, God, guns and freedom and whatever it might be, or perhaps a, a Southern Confederate flag sometimes in the window. You know, like, I think you, send, you see that a little bit more, uh, you know, displayed more prominently sometimes. I think you, see, you, you do see it more. I don't think it's just rural, though. I think you see the opposite side of that political spectrum in Places that you would consider, in, you know, businesses in progressive areas that you traditionally would think of, right? Sure. Maybe a certain kind of coffee shop, right? Right. And there's a Bob Marley, there's a Bob Marley poster up there, right? It's not just the weed, right. although we're not arguing against weed at all, right here. I think it was established at the Carl's and Sean uh, sports <laughs> podcast, didn't we establish that a month ago or so? I, th- I think we did. That the munchies are a good thing. No, but I, I I was thinking about this. Like, how many times have you gone in over the years to a to a little a hip little place or a little coffee shop or some kind of restaurant and everybody's tatted up and bearded? And the, it, you might see a poster of Bob Marley. I'm trying to think of another. You know, back in the '80s, you would see. Um, uh, something that had to do with the Sandinistas in Nicaragua or whatever. You in, in, things that you, if you are of a certain political persuasion, you you don't think twice about, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. So you see the Bob Marley. Yeah, we're joking about the weed, but really, it could read as colonialism and anti-imperialism and a certain kind of anti-Americanism. It, th- those things have been been around for a while. I walked into a diner in Harrisburg, right outside of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, because I flew in and out of there to go to state college because it's uh, very expensive to go into state college. And I was trying to be a good little boy for the for the free press. Right. So it's about an hour and a half away. There's a little town just south of the airport called Middleton. And they have a diner. There's a diner called Cuppies, K-U-P-P-Y-S, Cuppies. With the K. With a K. Okay. That's already not With a good a start. Yeah. yeah. No. And I, yeah. Right. And I was trying to figure out. Oh, I needed. I had some time before my flight home Sunday, and I thought uh, I need to eat a little something. And I saw, and I love diners. I cooked in diners. I cooked my way through college in diners, and I and I just love those atmospheres. Uh, that atmosphere, where a lot of people come together. The the kitchen's open. You're right there. In any case, so I walk into this place, uh, Cuppies, and uh, immediately it says cash only. So I thought, okay, that's good business sense. But they do have an ATM. So then, if you don't have cash, you pay the three and a half bucks. That's good business, right? Sure. Instead of making them pay a fee for running a credit card because they get charged to, to run credit cards. So I thought, okay, that shows a nice little entrepreneurial spirit. So I see that right away. Then I open the second door to go in, and there's a sign that says, guns are welcome on the premises. And there's a Trump sign. And the cook is in a, a bandana that's the American flag. right? And then I quickly start to figure out everybody <laughs> is part of the family, and they've all got some kind of eagle on their shirt or whatever. Mm-hmm. This isn't right. <laughs> I've been going into diners since I was a kid. I've worked in them. I tra- whenever I travel, I especially the East Coast, because that's where diners originated. You know, the railroad car diners, and uh, I wrote a, a paper about diners in college and how. Oh, I bet you did. Thomas Jefferson would have loved them, which is ridiculous <laughs> and pretentious, and I'm an idiot. But uh, but in any case, it, it it stopped me for a second. I thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. 
yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because people were speaking about politics. I could hear it. It's a small place. You could just hear bits and pieces of conversation. Mm-hmm. So I sit at the counter. And I immediately hear a waitress say, I feel like hitting somebody because they were talking about fake news and a protest and maybe somebody didn't like their politics and they were arguing on Facebook. And, I, you know, after a few minutes of this, and it's a little tense in a way, right? And they're busy too, so there's the, the stress of that. And I looked at the, the, the server and I said, what have I walked into? And that broke the ice a little bit. And they started laughing a little bit. And I said, diners are where we all come together. I mean, food brings us together. And I'm kind of saying this, right? I mean, and I have this. I said, so anyway, so they took my order and I ordered. And and it was actually really, really good. It's all from scratch. Yeah. And uh, to make this this way too long story short, Carlos, I get up, I pay. I I get my cash, obviously. (laughs) And I pay and I ask them. Uh, it was a husband and wife and their daughter was there. Uh, it's a fourth generation business. I asked him, I said, did you guys have to close down during COVID? And they said, uh, yes, but we did not. We refused. Last I checked, this was America. And they were court ordered twice to shut down and did not. They said, last I checked, this is America. This is America. Okay. Uh-huh. And I said, well, um, and then, and then, and then the the mom said, uh, one of the co-owners said, um, uh, "We're losing America, but we're going to get it back." And I, so what are you going to do in that spot, right? You just had this delicious meal. Now is she assuming you're on her side when you're the, saying all pr- this, probably because I'm white, maybe. Yeah. But then again, I, you know, the glasses I wear could give me away. Is oh, it? the glasses! No, seriously, the the the, the, the glasses. <laughs> I mean, I've got New Balance. I think New Balances are apolitical. (laughs) Levi's are apolitical, more or less. I got an old Navy hoodie. But, you know, how do I carry myself? And look, I don't know, but people could make assumptions for sure. But the fact that I was white, I don't know. Maybe they do make it. But she said, we're losing America. And so I thought, okay, do I really want to, what do I want to do here? (laughs) What do I want to do here? So this is what I said to him, Carlos. I said, this is still America. I said, hey, this, this is still America. It's okay. I said, this is what helps me. I said, just remember. And at this point, I had five or six people. It's a tight little spot, all listening to me right there. So I had their attention. Oh, boy. Yeah. I said, so this is what helps me a little bit to think of this. I said, just remember, we all want the same things. We all want to eat. We all want a roof over our head. We all want to be loved and the chance to love. We want our families to be safe. Everybody wants that. Folks that want to come to this country, that's what they want. <laughs> I said, just don't forget that. And I said, and by the way, those pancakes were del- – hotcakes. I said hotcakes, sorry. Were delicious. And, and, and you know, and this, is a, this is a great spot. That poor woman was so sad she didn't get a chance to spit in those hotcakes for you, give you a spit burger, uh, and oh, my uh, God. Because they were talking about illegals earlier and this and that. And, and at that point, <laughs> and I wanted to say, Carlos – Think about that the next time you go into a grocery store, that there's produce there. Or the boxes that come in the back of your restaurant Mm -hmm. in the middle of January. Because I know in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, you can't grow lettuce. I mean, you could in a greenhouse maybe, right? But if you're going out back, what are you going to grow in that frozen earth? Where's that food coming from? Who's down down on their knees picking that food? Yeah. But I didn't. I, I didn't want to go down that road. I just wanted to try to keep it. Anyway, their response was, um, they just kind of nodded their heads. It, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it def, not diffused it because it wasn't tense, tense, but it was tense enough. It just 
Wow. Right? It just lowered the temperature a little bit. Wow. And so I was thinking about that, Carlos, just just because this is this is where we're at. I've had more and more experiences like this. And maybe if somebody who th- thought thinks like they do, right? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all, but just a different a view of the world. And they walk into a coffee shop or some place in Ann Arbor or whatever, you know, yep. some hipster joint, and they see signs and see people dressed a certain way. What are their assumptions going to be? I mean, you probably don't think twice about that, do you? When you go into a place like that, you probably never have thought, oh, maybe subconsciously you think these are my people in some way. I don't know. I don't know what your politics are, but what do you what do you think? It's you know to me to me the 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 whole thing, and you know, I have people in my family who are from different political the different political spectrums and to me it's always just been about uh, trying to be civil having a civil conversation whether and you know I'll be honest even if I went to Ann Arbor and to coffee shop and, and you know they're screaming about how much they hate Trump and Fox News and whatever even that's off-putting to me too you know I, I, I think you're obviously there's freedom of speech and everything, right? But I think when we're in public places, that needs to be tamped down a little bit because you don't always want to hear it, even if you agree with it sometimes. You know, it's like there's there's a level of civility, I think, that should be asked for in mixed, you know, company out in public. Um, so, you know, I, I, I try to keep that in mind. Um, and I've, I've definitely been part of conversations. And I think, I think I'm... I, I'm I'm really impressed with you with saying actually going that far to say that because you were not in a in a friendly <laughs> environment there, right? Uh, Tiny could have followed you out to the parking lot and uh, wanted a further discussion with you um, with the gun rack on the back of his pickup. So you didn't know what you were going to get. And you were by yourself too, um, and I and I think now you know maybe we need more of those conversations because I've tried to not have those anymore. I'm tired of it. I can't have those after the last few years. I've gotten tired and just worn down by it. Well, it was interesting to hear the discourse and hear the, the, how angry some of the, 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 the tone was, right? Right. As they're cooking and serving people and so forth. But at the same time, then interspersing that with, oh, hey, hon, would you like a refill on your coffee? Or hey, on do you kind of get you anything else? Or do you do you, you want to you know you, you need more syrup? Do you want? But why? I mean, cream. why can't they just be genial when it comes to no, business? No, they can't. You no, know, they, they should be. And that's that. No, that <laughs> was they're going to yell at you. Come on, no, sure. no, do you that, want more but, syrup with those. But it, it, the juxtaposition of that, right? It was interesting how friendly and warm and clearly big hearted and hard working these folks are, yet made no weren't worried at all about clearly filling this the larger social scene in that diner with this edgy you know political talk and this kind of we're losing this country and all this sort of thing i mean right and and yeah. i think we all know well a lot of us know understand what what sometimes that can be uh codes for yeah for sure yeah you know i don't i don't know that these folks are trying to do, to, to do that necessarily i didn't get that impression but um I just, I just feel like I used to have a lot, of, a lot of those kind of conversations when I was young and out in the world, and I don't so much anymore, and I, and I miss that, and I feel like we ought to be able to still talk to each other, which is why I didn't want to just attack them yeah. in that moment. I just wanted to try to say, hey, point out what we have in common, which is almost everything yeah. when it gets right down to it, right? Maybe one of us likes uh, Shark Tale and the other like Squid Game or whatever, but <laughs> – Sorry about the ocean motif there, but uh, Shark Tale. 
Not Shark Tale, Shark Tank. Shark, Shark Tank, or whatever it was. Shark Tale was a was an animated movie I took my kids to when they were young. So I think with Will Smith of all of all people. Tad's nodding. He's probably saw it. God, he saw a couple years ago. He is over there. Yeah, he's old enough to see it a couple years. But ago. yeah, you, you, but you get the idea. We, we can have different. You know, somebody likes Duck Dynasty, and somebody else likes you know, I don't know, a documentary about fashion in Paris, and that's fine. But those two people still want the same things, don't they? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, I just, I just wonder. I mean, it's, it's great of you to say it. I hope maybe someone listen to that, but whether they're going to probably just write you off and saying this guy's a nut job. I didn't, I didn't feel like I wasn't going to write them off, and that's the thing. I, I want to diffuse a little bit, but I also want to listen. I don't want to write them off because they'll sense that. Yeah, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to behave that way. And I didn't feel like they were doing that to me. They, I think they were not shocked, but I, I couldn't believe how silent they got and how they were how they were listening, right? Because they're probably not used to that. We, we have a position as journalists where we maybe get to go to different parts because so much, so many of us have turned into our, turned to our own little, you know, hermetically sealed lives. We don't mix as much as we used to. And yep. that's, yep. that's a different, I mean, you know, right. I felt that in the diner, but, it, but it's made, it made me think Carlos about all the places I've gone in the big cities all over this country for years to eat or drink or whatever. And not think twice about things that could be construed as political signs, right? Yeah, you don't need a presidential bumper sticker up there, right, to suggest where how you think about the world. Sure, yeah, yeah. I thought that, that was a good lesson for me, a good reminder for me. No, but Very uh, good. in any case, I I, I was I just wanted to share that with you. I'm glad you returned home safe. Yeah. <laughs> don't do it again. No, I, I wouldn't say that. Well, listen, we're going to take uh, one more. Or do we do we need a quick break? No, we don't. Maybe you need a quick break, Carlos. I'm ready whenever right, you well, are. How about you just tell me right. what your favorite thing is? I think was. you need to go first on your favorite thing because you you've been co-opting mine. Go. No, you go Yours. because I, I'm tired of hearing my voice. Oh, my. All right. You're not going to steal it. I won't. You have your I, own. I, I do. All right. Because you, you, you haven't been putting in the effort on the favorite things lately, Sean. I want you. No, it was just the last time. It was it was similar. That's okay. All. all right. No, oh, no. I did. No, you're no, like, I changed I did, mine. I did because yeah. I loved what you said mm-hmm. and I wanted – right. that became my favorite thing. <laughs> All right, mine is simple. Um, after the Lions game, I was I was working from home. It's a long day. I was tired, and uh, Adele, your favorite uh, songstress, had this special for her new album coming out. I'm not really a huge Adele fan necessarily. Hello, Hello yeah. And so my wife likes her, and we all like her fine. And so we're watching. All the it. little women like her. Is that what you're saying, Carlos? <sighs> no, just my wife happens to like her. She okay. likes a lot of people. She saw Nirvana live one time in Philadelphia. She has a wide spectrum of, of interest musically. So anyway, she's doing a sit down with with Oprah, and, but she's doing this big special at the Griffith Observatory, which I'm sure you went to in your LA travels. Um, Not last time, and, and next time, and and so she was doing her thing, and but there was a really funny, fun moment in her special where. They did this, and I usually hate this, but they did wait, this. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I can't believe you think that I can climb the damn hill to get up to the top of <laughs> the grade. They have buses, Sean. They no, have buses I did, I did walk up there about 15 years ago or 10 years ago. But, yeah, yeah no, That's impressive. I can't believe you'd think I could do that now. You could take a bus. Could I? Yeah, that's how you get up there now. You can't walk. You really can't walk up there. Okay. Or you can drive. Sorry um, to interrupt your favorite thing, but thank you for that. Well, the, the thing I hate is, I usually hate, is these um, surprise marriage proposals. But they did this surprise marriage proposal during the event. And it's this really cute couple. They've been dating for seven years, so it's overdue. And the girl has 
head like uh, noise canceling headphones. She has a blindfold. She has no idea. She's going to this Adele concert in front of like Hollywood A listers uh, at night in front of Ode- in front of Adele, and the guy proposes to her. And she's and and anybody who's ever been engaged or proposed or proposed to whatever, you know, it's a huge moment. And then <laughs> to have it revealed and like you're, there's cameras and and lights and Adele and all this stuff. Um, her reaction was just priceless, and I, it was just such a fun moment. It reminded me of my own experience with that. I hadn't thought about about it for a while, and but it was just it was just a really fun moment. And then they sat there and watched the rest of the concert, and were drinking champagne. So it was just an added little level of cuteness that um, that I really enjoyed. That was my favorite thing. That's nice. I like the the soft side. Yeah, right? yeah. The mushy, sure. the mushy side. I like that. <laughs> You don't have a mushy side, do you? Yeah, of course I do. I cry at everything. <laughs> you know, I uh, I do like Adele. By the way, she's got a she's got a oh, it's amazing. She, yeah, incredible voice, absolutely. My favorite thing. I'm going to keep this quick. So uh, let's go back to Harrisburg. <laughs> the the chocolate cake you ordered for dessert. No, I didn't have any, I didn't have any dessert. Oh no, you have a pancake. You don't want to. <laughs> by the way, I had two over easy eggs, American fries, which were delicious, and the smoked kielbasa. Which was made there locally, and it was it was it was great. You can see why people are in there. The food, I mean, if the food sucks. Nobody's going to be in there trying to figure out the world together, right? You got to start with that. Food, right. food is the basis Absolutely. of everything. Absolutely. Obviously, that and oxygen, okay, and water, and some corduroy slacks that you're wearing on because you know you can look handsome when you go out into Berkeley or wherever it is that you're wherever it is that you're going. Um, no, so I landed Harrisburg, and a co- our colleague Michael Cohn. Uh, is staying in Altoona because he, you know, he's a big time guy and he flew into State College. <laughs> Actually, the beat writers get to get to get to book a lot sooner, so they right. can get much better fare. So, so he he was staying in Altoona because you can't stay in State College and it's too small and et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, and I wanted to have dinner with with, uh, with Michael and drive over to Altoona. It's about a two and a half hour drive from Harrisburg, and I thought that would be also helpful because. Altoona is closer to State College, and it was a noon kick on Saturday. You get up early to get to those games, and I thought, well, that's a shorter drive Saturday. That's, it works out for it works out. I can have dinner, a little easier drive, and then I drive back to Harrisburg Saturday night. I did not know at that point about Cuppy's Diner, but in any case, here, here's my favorite thing, man. On that drive, um, I get on the, the turnpike, the Pennsylvania Turnpike, seventy six, and the sun is uh, I don't know. It's not quite it's not quite dusk, but. Um, but it's close to it. It's it's you're driving through. I, I guess mountains to me they're kind of like foothills in that area, and it's just beautiful. And there's still some leaves out. It's mostly brown, and just kind of weaving through tunnels and snaking through. And there's you kind of cross over and back and forth. A, a, I don't remember which river it was. There are a lot of rivers in Pennsylvania, right? The three of them meeting. Yeah, and Pennsylvania. Yeah. In any case, I just I love the idea that I didn't have to go that far. I mean, it was an hour plane ride. If you wanted to drive to Harrisburg, it's probably seven, seven and a half hours. So it's not terribly far, but yet you feel far enough, right? It's not your home. I mean, it feels very different. And I just, I love that experience. I had never, I don't know that I'd ever made that exact drive. And I just like seeing something new. And I love the mountains. And even though they weren't, I mean, it's not your mountains out in California or the Rockies or even the Appalachians. It's just it was just it was just cool. It was really really cool. 
and it reminds you of just how big and broad and awesome this world is. And just there's that little little stretch between a couple of towns a lot of people probably don't think much of, Harrisburg and Altoona. Yeah. And uh, it was lovely. This explains a lot about your six-hour drive through L.A., wanting to see things you haven't seen before. So getting out into the world and experiencing it, that's, that's the I Sean Windsor model. I try to. I try to. Well, I don't know if I – I mean, you, you have the much better model, right? You decree how the world's going to be, and then you no sleep whenever you can. That's yes, my motto. Is that that's that is it? That's a <laughs> yeah, that's a good motto. I, I should try that. Well, listen, Carlos, thanks for putting up with my uh, Harrisburg uh, tale. <laughs> it was impressive. And thanks for weighing in on uh, how much power you have. Thanks for admitting how much power you have, and influencing how people see these athletes we write about. Yeah, yeah, always. I'm always happy to do that for you, Sean. Well, I think you're doing it for the people. Right. I'm doing it for myself. You do it come for on, yourself. Come on. Okay. I start every column with I. So sometimes you do. I don't know if you've actually if you actually started a column with I. You use it way three or four words. What haven't I? What are you talking about? No. no Dateline no. I. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> Your favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite. But uh, in any case, Carlos, it was a pleasure as always. Uh, we will be back here next week. I hope if you'll still. Yeah, it's uh, Thanksgiving. Join sure, of course. That'd be okay with you. Yeah. Okay. All right, folks, uh, that'll do it. That's uh, the Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. You can find us wherever you find your favorite podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And, again, I know I say every week, I think, Carlos has some kind of special place. You'll have to email him about where where he likes to get his podcast. But in any case, when you do find us, please rate us. You know, if you don't like us, that's fine. Tell us. Let us know. We'll, we'll figure it out. We're always looking how to get better. Rate us. Subscribe. Uh, you know, or not. I don't know. It's up to you. We're not trying to tell you what to do. Well, I'm not. Carlos is. How about that? In any case, we want to thank Tad Davis, the executive producer. Can I say that, Tad? Yes, I can. He's shaking his head no. I'm Okay, how about this? Tad Davis, the producer. We want to thank Kirkland Crawford and Anjanette Delgado, our producers, and well, maybe they are executive producers. I don't know. It's too many people. Uh, let's just thank Peter Body and get out of here, the executive editor of the Free Press, who does make all of this possible. We will see you all next week. <laughs>